If you could turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 2 this morning, Luke chapter 2, the first 14 verses. Very familiar verses, but it is Christmas Sunday. So we are in Luke chapter 2, the first 14 verses. And here is the word of the Lord. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day to celebrate with joy and gladness. And Lord, we pray that you would speak your word now, a word that we would need for us to be reminded of this amazing story that we celebrate. And then, Lord, we pray for the rest of this service as the children will come and bless us. And even as they are preparing now and receiving a message now, about Christmas. May it all be internalized and, and it come together to glorify you and to bless one another as a church. We give you this service. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. For unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given. Amen. God and sinners reconciled. That is the heart of Christmas. And it's the most wonderful time of year. I love this time of year. If you love this time of year, give me a smile. Stop frowning. Yeah, all right. I see it. I see it. And um, the whole world celebrates Christmas. Uh, I think whether you're Christian or not, it's a, it's a celebration that happens all over the world. I've come to believe that the joy of this season, the joy of Christmas, is one of God's, I think, general revelations to mankind. Now, think about it. A full month. After Thanksgiving, where the entire world, whether they're aware of it or not, celebrate the coming of Jesus, the Savior, into the world. And appropriately, this is the season of joy and peace, which it truly is because of Christ. It's the season of love. And of course, it's because God is love. And he demonstrated that love by sending his own son uh, to us. We celebrate, whether you're Christian or not, the love of family and friends in the season. Even romantic love is in the air, right? 
Lois and I watched just this week a pretty awful Christmas movie just because it was on Prime Video. It's called Something from Tiffany's. Did anyone watch it? <laughs> okay, I don't recommend it. It's just a terrible, very convoluted plot and utterly predictable, but we still watched it. You know why? Because there's snow, because there's hot chocolate, because there's New York City on Christmas Eve. And, you know, that's just, the, I think, a general joy uh, that we feel in this season. Um, it's also the day of gifts and giving, Christmas, which is truly was that first Christmas day when God the Father gave us the greatest gift of all time in his one and only Son. And of course, we Christians are the ones who truly celebrate Christmas for the right reason, the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But it's almost as if God could not contain this joy, so he allows it to spill over to the entire earth for an entire month out of the year. And even so, this Christmas story is just not a nice story for us as Christians, right? Here's a commentary that I revisit every time, uh, this year, every year. This isn't working. Maybe we ran out of battery. Okay, Sherman, you're my go-to. For the rest of the world, celebrating Christmas is a matter of marking time. For Christians, it's a matter of rehearsing the drama of our salvation. Year after year, for as long as we live, we rehearse the story of God's love in Jesus Christ, how he came to us in the child of Bethlehem, how he was crucified and buried, and on the third day rose from the dead, and how he came to live among us forever in the person of the Holy Spirit. Now that, that is Christmas. But if you really stop and think about the story, A word that might describe this Christmas story, I think, is the word unlikely, unlikely. It is such an unlikely event, if you think about it, full of very unlikely characters. And this morning, I thought we would look back to Luke's account of the first Christmas once again. I know Pastor Wilson preached through every verse of this already, but we'll park ourselves maybe a little higher, just take a bigger kind of a higher uh, view of the, of the entire story, to see everyone who was around this first Christmas. And I pray that this morning we will all be reminded of a God who delights to use unlikely things to accomplish his will. First character, Joseph, a quiet, faithful carpenter. Verse 4, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. Do you know, as important a role as Joseph would play in the life, in the birth and life of Jesus, the man never speaks a word in the Bible. There is no recorded word that Joseph speaks in any of our Gospels. He's a portrait, I think, of a quiet, literally, quiet, humble faithful man, obedient to God's word and direction, faithful to Mary as a husband, utterly responsible to his family, without uttering a word. He simply obeys. Joseph is also a carpenter, a blue-collar worker, carpenter from Nazareth. If you think 
of today. Maybe he's the plumber you call when something's going on in the basement. Maybe he's the construction worker on I-294 that I travel a lot. He is no King Charles. He is no President Biden. He's no Brad Pitt, no LeBron James. He's not even a Billy Graham. He is just a quiet, faithful carpenter from Nazareth. What an unlikely character to play the earthly father of our Lord and Savior. Next character, Mary, an obscure teenage girl. Verse 5, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. You know, some of the art, some of the depictions of Mary have her looking pretty old and mature as she's holding baby Jesus, a stately woman with radiance about her face, often with a halo overhead. You know what I'm talking about? But most scholars believe that she could have been as young as 14 to 16 years old. That would align with the culture at that time as well. She was a child herself. As far as we know, she had little education, if any. Her family had no wealth that we know of, no political clout, no social standing. This was a teenage virgin girl from a small town. And yet here she sits in this story as God's anointed, the one who would answer her calling with this response, I am the Lord's servant, may it be. May your word to me be fulfilled. Luke 1.38. And now this young girl is about to become a mother. She's about to be filled with all the wonder and awe and joy and hope and love of a mother who has just given birth to her first child. Mary was no Mother Teresa or Oprah Winfrey or Ariana Grande or Beth Moore. She was just a simple, obscure teenage girl from Nazareth. What an unlikely character to be the mother of God in the flesh. Animals were also, at the birth of Jesus, unclean, weak figures. Verse 6, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for him. You know, when I think of Jesus being born and placed in a manger, which is basically a feeding trough for barn animals, for farm animals, the first thing that comes to my mind are concerns about sanitation. Amen? When you have a baby, it seems that there are very good reasons to deliver a baby in a hospital. Not only because there are doctors and nurses uh, there who know exactly what they're doing, but because of sanitation. It's clean, it's safe, it's sanitary. Anyone been to a farm or a barn before, even a zoo? Uh, it smells, right? It smells of the animals and their excrement. And yet, the first place that God would lay his own son on the earth was a feeding trough. For animals. Also, think about the types of animals that would have been present in that barn. Scholars say that the manger here would have been for animals such as these donkeys, sheep, and cows. Donkey, 
sheep, and cow. Think about these animals. These are not the type of animals we name our teams after. We don't have the Denver donkeys or the Chicago sheep or the Cal State cows. No, it's the Chicago Bears, it's Detroit Lions, it's the Philadelphia Eagles. There's cool animals, and then there's barn animals. These are barn animals. Unclean, weak barn animals around the infant Jesus. Jesus could have been stepped on by a cow. Most unlikely figures to accompany the birth of the King of Kings. How about the shepherds, shepherds, lowly, smelly first witnesses, and the night shift. Verse 8, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. The first human witnesses, apart from Joseph and Mary, to hear the good news, to see the baby Jesus, is shepherds. Now, who were these shepherds in Bethlehem? They were Jews. But they were not highly regarded Jews. Shepherds these days would have been, would have been thought of as, as unclean, undesirable, even unrighteous. And this was the night shift. Uh, but notice, it is to these shepherds that the first ever recorded proclamation of the gospel is given. These words recite, we recite every year were spoken to the shepherds. Verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around the shepherds, and they were terrified. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news, gospel. Gospel means good news that will cause great joy for all the people today in the town of David. A Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This was not proclaimed to the world, to kings, to presidents. This was proclaimed to the night shift of shepherds in Bethlehem. And by society's standards, these were very poor, lowly, smelly people, not unlike the animals they were in charge of, a most unlikely group of people to first witness the birth of the Lord of Lords. Final character in our story is the baby Jesus, a helpless, vulnerable infant. Verse 12, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Baby Jesus, of course, is the centerpiece of the nativity of the manger scene, as he should be. It is Christmas, after all. The creator of the cosmos, in this moment, is a helpless, vulnerable baby. Now, there's nothing more sweet, more angelic than a newborn baby. Yeah? What is our reaction usually when we see a, a newborn baby? We go, ah! Right? Newborns are beautiful to anyone with eyes to behold a miracle, to experience the sheer innocence and potential that a child represents. What could be more touching of a symbol of God's love than the cooing of an infant? And yet... Beyond our sentimentality, babies are an affront to our value system. Human babies are the most helpless, pathetic beings on earth, much more than animals. Left by themselves, a human baby has zero chance of survival, 
They are helpless, vulnerable, dependent, powerless, needy, naive creatures. The presence of the baby Jesus at the center of the holy gathering is contrary to everything we believe about strength and power and ability and might. Amen? Even as Yasmin is needy right now. You see? She's listening. But that's precisely the point. God comes to us as a helpless, vulnerable infant. God makes his entrance not by barging into the world and taking over, but by coming in the form of one who is a threat to no one. What a most unlikely way for God to enter the world he created in order to redeem it back to himself. Sisters and brothers, this is the Christmas story. What an unlikely event in history. And how appropriate is it that it's Dr. Luke who best records this most unlike story. Luke, whose entire gospel speaks of the great reversal, the last being first. His strong theological emphasis on God's concern for the downtrodden and the outcast, the poor, the tax collectors, sinners, Samaritans, Gentiles, and women. Luke's gospel begins with the greatest reversal of all time, God as baby, son of the father, now in flesh appearing. Oh, come, let us adore him. Now let's land the plane, as Pastor Wilson would say. (laughs) All of us are unlikely people, are we not? Anyone here think that you've got it all together? That you're all that? If you think so, there are other issues (laughs) probably in your life. To the rest of us who realize that we we ain't much, that we ain't anything special, maybe quiet, obscure, lowly, weak, unclean even, helpless, what a huge encouragement this Christmas story is for unlikely people like you, definitely like me. Let us rejoice this morning and be encouraged as such a great God who uses such unlikely things for his divine purposes. Amen? Um, Reminds me of 1 Corinthians 1, these great verses. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I don't know about anyone in this room, but this is certainly my testimony. You know, I recently had the privilege of speaking at our sister church, uh, Harvest Community Church, to their young adults. Um, They had a a retreat, and I took this approach um, what would I say to a 22-year-old version of myself? Um, that was the approach. And I try to speak to these young adults that have just graduated college and coming into adulthood. 
And this made me reflect on how I had changed since I was their age. Okay, just think of yourself as a 20, 22-year-old. I, I reflected on it, and, now, and this was my conclusion. The, the biggest difference between now, 47 years old, and a 22-year-old version of LJ, John, at U of I, is this. When I was younger, I didn't think I was that bad. Actually, if truth be told, I thought I was pretty good. I was president of my youth group <laughs> growing up. I was a committed member of the church. I was a dutiful PK, never rebelled. Pretty humble Christian, I would have never said, but probably thought in my head at 22 years old. I thought I was pretty okay. Now, 25 years later, I can say this about myself. There is not one sin in the world that I could not commit. There is not one sin in the world that I am not capable of committing. I am dead serious about that statement. If I'm in the wrong place at the wrong time in a wrong relationship with God, there is not one sin in the earth that I could not commit. Yes, I am that sinful. Yes, my heart is that despicable. The longer I live, I don't feel more righteous. I feel more wretched to stand before people to preach the word of God because I see the depravity in my heart more and more clearly. My unforgiveness, which still lingers, my pride, my impurity, my idolatry. I understand, I think, more and more why Paul, the great apostle Paul, how he could say at the end of his life in 1 Timothy, I am the worst of sinners. Because no one gets to see your heart but God and you. What a wretched man I am. Those are the prayers that I pray these days. And the longer I live, the more I see my heart. And yet, he chose me. Not just to be his child, his son, but to be his servant. To serve his church in a full-time capacity even in full-time ministry. Me, the worst of sinners, gets to serve his church, his people. Now that is an unlikely story. Not unlike our Christmas story. Sisters and brothers, isn't God great? Think of what you were. Think of what he has done for you and is still continuing to do in you. Isn't God great? I'm hunting for an amen there. Finishing up our passage before we invite the kids down. Verse 13. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. Yes, while the joy of this season may be universal, Peace is not. Peace belongs only to those on whom his favor rests. That is, only those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. On December 26th, the day after Christmas, the joy of Christmas season will be behind us, at least for another 11 months. But I pray 
everyone in this room and all of our children would know his true peace all throughout the year, the peace to those on whom his favor rests. Amen? Amen. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you so much for this greatest story ever told, the greatest story of history, the unlikely event that we celebrate as Christmas. God and sinners reconciled. Father, we thank you so much that uh, you did that for us. And the manner in which you did it, Lord, encourages us to no end. For here we are, unlikely, sinful people that are still utter works in progress. And yet you chose us and you keep choosing us. Keep choosing to love us and to use us. And Lord, for that we are amazed. And we thank you for a sovereign God who uses unlikely things to accomplish your will on earth. And that is what we celebrate this Christmas Sunday. Would you be glorified the rest of this service? We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.